Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. So I might start out naively. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. My mother, a soprano, enters. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh, hey! She eventually found the dog, but she had to go take it to the vet because its balls were frozen. How Catholic are we? So Catholic that my Meemaw has tiny vials of holy water. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Soup Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. And I am Jessica Hinkin. And this week on the podcast, we continue our holiday episodes with festive family fun. Three tales of families getting a little or a lot crazy during the holidays. Yeah. So before we get crazy, we want to thank Mend Acupuncture, which has three locations in Baltimore where you can get a healing and relaxing acupuncture session. So visit them and tell them we sent you. Okay. So this first storyteller, Thomas Hokla, um, I actually met through yoga. Um, He is a yoga teacher. He is awesome. And he is also a music teacher and uh, performer of music. So this story that he's sharing is about a particular Christmas ritual that um, his family goes through every year that is really fun, but not without a little bit of stress. I originally grew up in Oklahoma. I'm one of four kids. It's girl, boy, boy, girl. I'm the younger, the younger boy represent. Um, so I also grew up in a family of musicians. And as I assume everyone, at least I did until I was much older, everyone around the holidays and really any time of year, we would sing in the car all the time. And around this time of year, of course, Jingle Bells would be a perennial favorite. So I might start out naively. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. My mother, a soprano, enters. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh, hey! My brother, a tenor, continues. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Until my dad, a baritone, would bring us back to a reasonable key and let us all continue to sing together. So enter into that my mother, who really is kind of the reason that music has been in our household our whole lives. She's kind of the head honcho musician. One of my favorite stories is that she went to the University of Oklahoma on an athletic scholarship playing French horn. The music department couldn't afford a second French horn, but the Pride of Oklahoma marching band for Football is King in Oklahoma could. So there you have it. Growing up, I don't know whether music or my love of my mother is really where it's kind of a chicken and the egg situation. I wasn't sure, do I love this sublime sound or do I really just need more attention? I'll get back to you on that. Anyway, so as I'm going through my life, my mother had many jobs as a musician, but she always was the, the church musician, where we, whatever church we were going to at the time. And I figured out when I was about five or six that if I got up at 6 a.m. and I looked you know, clean cut, ready to go, that this Irish Catholic mother was never going to turn down her son to take him to church. Gold mine. I had three and a half uninterrupted hours of mom time. So I would get there, and what I didn't quite count on was that since my mom was the musician, I was going to make music. 
So this went on for years. And here's where I pause the story to say that we're making music together, I'm learning, it's great. But one thing that you have to know about my family is that we had kind of an Anne of Green Gables, Victorian era aspect to, to gathering together that we always performed for each other. So I would learn a Christmas piece, my brother would learn something on guitar, my sisters on flute and oboe, we'd all sing and play music. So that's the backdrop. And one year in May, my mom comes to me and says, I think this year, instead of you presenting a solo piece, you should lead us in a sing-along. And I'm like, great, that sounds awesome. She tells me this wonderful story of how, when I, and I was 10 or 11, she tells me this wonderful story of how she was my age and used to start practicing in June. And it was May, and she kind of looks at me and says, you're going to need the extra time. So I, I start practicing. And I've always admired people who start listening to Christmas carols in November because, I mean, they must have a real love for carols. But I always know in the back of my head that my family must love Christmas music more than anyone because they've heard, like, truly horrific murdered carols practiced by a 10-year-old since May their entire lives. So they've heard since May, like, Hark the Herald with, like, no sharps or flats or anything like that because I, I couldn't quite grasp it. So we're going through, and now as a musician and educator myself, um, I know that my mom was really trying to decide whether this was going to be an empowering experience or a moment where her 10-year-old son wasn't completely embarrassed in front of his entire family on New Year's Eve. Um, so the first week of December, she gets me together and says, like, hey, we should make some music together and go through these carols. So I'm pretty slick. I've got them together. I've got your Silent Night. I've got your First Noel. I've got Once in Royal David City because I'm that good. I've also got Let It Snow. You know, this is... We're ready to go. I play through all of them. It goes great. I'm ready to get up. My mom says, great, we're gathering on New Year's Eve. Of course you've prepared Auld Lang Syne. No. Crickets. So she gets out the easy piano book. She's like, just prepare a bass line and a right hand. It'll be fine. Your entire family's musicians. It'll be great. No worries. So I spend every waking moment practicing Auld Lang Syne from like December 6th or so, St. Nicholas Day, all the way through to New Year's Eve. The day arrives, we get together, we get outside, the ball drops, the wrong time zone, but you know, we would just make sure that we like, I think one year we actually had one from the previous year that we watched. Because uh, anyway, so we get outside, we have the trumpets blaring, because why not? We may or may not set up fireworks in the city limits, I don't remember. We come inside, everyone has their sparkling, except my uncle who doesn't like sparkling, you just never asked what was in his glass. We gather by the piano, I'm ready to play. I start out F major, we get through the first verse of Auld Lang Syne. This is when I realize that I am a finger sweater. A great, great trait in a classic pianist is that I can swear I can see drops of sweat almost by osmosis going through my nail and shooting onto the keyboard slash now slip and slide. So we get through the first verse, oh, I'm super relieved. Like, great, all I have to do is take this home, perfect. We finish, for all lang syne, done. Then I hear in the back of the room my mother's beautiful soprano. And here's a hand, my trusty friend. Of course she knows verse two. And not to be bested, but I also like to think because they love us so much, my family, jumps in. I'm clearly flustered. I'm just not ready for verse two. And they jump in with the harmony because the melody is more than I can even handle at this point, to be honest. And they come in hums and oohs. It's like Norman Luboff, eat your heart out. It's beautiful singing. At least it was in my head. And I remember feeling this huge sense of pride and warmth. 
that's all I remember from that moment, but I do look back on it all the time. Mainly because it reminds me of my favorite carol in the bleak midwinter. In the last verse of the Christina Rossetti poem, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. But what I can I give him? I give him my heart. And in that moment, my mother takes for granted that if she gives her whole heart into verse 2 and takes that leap of faith of her whole self that we're there for her, that her terrified son is there for her. And what it teaches me more than even a holiday memory is that growing up gay, Roman Catholic, Eagle Scout in Oklahoma in the 90s in a small town, I could have a very different story. But through things as simple as Old Lang Syne and the way my mother presented music, I learned a lesson I hope every parent is able to teach their child that if I show up with my whole heart, that that's what I can give. And every year at Old Lang Syne on New Year's, I get a chance to remember that. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. And that was a story shared at our um, last year. We had our virtual, it was our first time not doing an in-person holiday show since we started in 2007, six. Yeah. I find myself wanting to say that was the last, ver and then I'm like, don't say that. Okay. Um, <laughs> before we get on to our next story of family fun-ish, um, we want to thank Baltimore Magazine. You can find them online at baltimoremagazine.com or on newsstands. Check them out. Okay, so this is from Elaine Pollock. This is a short but sweet uh, story that uh, she shared as an audience storyteller at um, the last time that we had a holiday show at the beloved Senator Theater in Baltimore. Take a listen to Elaine. Oh my God, what am I doing? So I'm Polish. Who's Polish? So Christmas Eve is huge for Polish people. We call it Vigilia, and we do this big traditional um, dinner when the first star comes out, and we have 12 different seafood platters for the 12 disciples, and usually by that time I was drunk, so I don't know what else that comes after that, but uh, one particular time, now I'm one of six kids, and we're a huge family, and we're all kind of messed up in our own ways, and I'm always trying to make it just perfect. My cousin cooked everything, and we come over and try to try to make it a nice time. Well, my sister, uh, my older sister flies in, and she is late for everything, and she went to decide just before Vigilia started to take the dogs for a walk at Lock Raven with my other sister, and, and the dog got lost, and it's only a little poodle, like not a hiking dog at all, but anyhow, so we're waiting for waiting for her. One of the things that you do in Velia is you set a place, an extra place, in case a um, stranger comes. <laughs> we always do that, like, who's going to come through the door? Well, my brother didn't disappoint this year because he, he's a ghost hunter, and he f had a fan come to Velia that year, and she had, like, platform boots and sits down. We're trying to, like, hey, the stranger came. Anyway, we're still waiting for my sister Carolyn to come. Oh, and she probably wouldn't want me to say her name. My sister to come. And anyhow, she, so anyhow, uh, she eventually found the dog, but she had to go take it to the vet because it, its balls were frozen. So, yeah, sucks. So we're down one for Velia, up one with a ghost hunter, and then um, 
so then my, my, one of my cousins was coming in, and uh, my cousin has like a boardwalk, a weird little kind of boardwalk to her house. And, um, you know, this is like on a cartoon. She, one of the boards slapped her in the face. She had to go to the hospital to get stitches. So we have a dog at the vet, my uh, one cousin bleeding face. Pervilia, a stranger that that served the part, but I mean, I can't wait for what's going to happen this year. So anyway, thank you. Thank you, Elaine, for that great, short, and sweet story. Before we get on to our final storyteller, we want to let you know that this year we are doing a live and in-person holiday show at the beautiful Chesapeake Shakespeare Company. It's on December 8th, um, so you best get your ticket soon. And it is going to feature stories about making mistakes, making amends, making merry. Why is that theme what we chose? Well, because we're going to be on the set of A Christmas Carol. And we wanted to lean into the Scrooge of it all or the not Scrooge of it all. So you can learn more at soupstorytelling.com. All right. So this final storyteller, Noelle Ford. Wow. I mean, the story she shares and the visual details. There's one I'm thinking of in particular, um, (laughs) but I want you all to get it straight from the horse's mouth. So uh, take a listen. I'm from a huge Irish Catholic family. How huge? My mom is one of eight, six sisters, six girls, two boys. They all have their own families. I have like 28 cousins. They all kind of look like me. We all grew up within like a 20-mile radius of the Towson Mall. Huge. I also come from a huge Catholic family. How Catholic are we? Super Catholic. So Catholic that my meemaw has tiny vials of holy water that she collects. And then when you have a sore throat and you walk into her house and say, (coughs) my throat, she'll give you a tiny vial of holy water to drink. Now this water has been drunk by everyone with a sore throat. So when you continue to have a sore throat, she promises you it's because you didn't trust God. Pretty darn Catholic. Now, the best part about being from a big Catholic family is the Conley Christmas party. So I'm going to take you back. It's 1996, the year the Macarena came out. I know. It's incredible. And so my whole family, we schlep up to my Mima's. You know, we, she lives a block away. We walk in, and the first thing I notice is that the walls are sweating. I'm talking like discotheque club sweat on the walls because there are 60 people that all kind of look like me ass to ass in this tiny little split level. So I get there, I walk in, I tear off my sweater, and I'm handed a baby. All right, so there's two rules that come with this large Catholic family. Christmas time means kids tend to themselves. And if you're a foot taller than something, you can take care of it. So I'm an elementary school kid, but I'm thrown Abby. You know, she's two years old. She's got a 30-pound head, and she's given to me, and she's my plus one for the night. I got to pee. Abby comes with me. I got to eat. I got Abby. So Abby and I, we're like, we got to go to the porch. We get to the back porch. All the uncles are out there smoking cigars. 
And my one Uncle Bill, he's got his leg up on the cooler, kind of like this weird power stance. And I'm like, Uncle Bill, Uncle Bill, can I get a soda? Now I need to take a pause here. The reason I'm so frantic is because my family is factioned. We have the Shasta side, okay? The cola side, the generic side. I'm a generic childhood kid, okay? And then we have the name brand families, okay? I'm talking Pepsi, okay? I'm talking Coke with cherry. So I needed to get into that cooler. I needed Uncle Bill to move his butt because I needed to get a good soda. So I'm saying, Uncle Bill, Uncle Bill, can I get it? I'm so thirsty. And my Uncle Bill goes, oh, you're thirsty? I got a cup of something for you. Oh, a cup of what, Uncle Bill? And he takes his hand and he cups his butt cheek and he lets out a large, meaty fart. And then he takes that fart and he throws it in my face and laughs. I got a cup of fart for you. So. It did end up getting a Coke, thank God. I grab Abby, I'm like smelling my uncle's fart, and I immediately race to the basement because there is nothing edgier than Meemaw's basement in elementary school, okay? So you go down into the basement. There I am, I'm down there. And this was the year that we had um, like kind of stolen matches and an advent candle wreath, and we were trying to summon the devil bunch of Catholic kids. So we're lighting the candles, we put the babies in the corner, and we're like lighting them, and we're saying prayers backwards, and hoping that like some dark force shows up. This was also the year that my cousin Kelly, who's like 11 at the time, told me that um, boys don't have wieners, they have penises. So it's a lot that happened in that basement. I grew up a lot, and it was awesome. Then my mom comes running down the stairs because she's figured out that we have fire in the basement, and she's yelling at us. I never knew that parents could talk at a typical level because I grew up in a large family, and everyone talks like this all the time. And so my mom comes down. She's like, it's dinner time. No fire. No summoning the devil. And we run up the stairs. We have our plus ones. And we're in the kitchen, and there's like a bunch of card tables set out, and they're covered in casseroles, green bean casserole, french fry casserole. We are a family of casseroles. And we're holding hands, and it's quiet, and we're saying a prayer. And it's beautiful. And you feel connected, and you can feel your family kind of squeezing your hand. And it was awesome. And then we say amen, and like a kill on the savannah, we immediately erupt and try to get food. And like feral animals were hiding. So the night always ends exactly the same way. Now, I told you it was the year of the Macarena. We always put on some form of music and we dance. And so we put on the Macarena, and all the kids gather, and we're doing the Macarena. And it's incredible. And my mom's like, this is so cute. Let me get your Aunt Kathy. And we do it literally for like 10 to 20 minutes. And we're crying, and my family's screaming, and everyone is yelling, and they're like, smile for the camera. And then my grandpa George is like, God damn it, why is the music on? And it's just so fun. And that's my Christmas party. And we always end the night, we line up like, you know, like the end of a, a football game, we shake hands, we hug, we kiss. And it's incredible. And this year things are different. I'm an adult. It's Christmas 2020, and it's the pandemic. And instead of it just being generic versus name brand, now there's politics and the pandemic. People have been unfriended on Facebook. I haven't seen my family in a really long time. And what 
those stories hold for me is the hope and the love of being connected to my family. And so even though this year has been really hard, I am looking forward to having card tables set up at my family's house or in my own home and inviting all of my family over. Anyway, happy holidays to everyone and to my family. I love you, I miss you, and I hope to see you soon. Oh, gosh. Do you know, do you know which detail I'm thinking of? Is it the, the walls sweating? Yeah. <laughs> I knew, I, yeah, I know you. I knew I, it. I, I want to be at a party where the walls sweat. That sounds so Noelle funny. is so, I love her. Uh, she is, uh, gosh, she's just a really fantastic person. And uh, she's also a Spanish teacher. So, you know, just, si senor. I, si senor. That is uh, random, but true fact about Noelle Ford. Okay, so we've done it. You've listened to another episode of the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. Um, before we end, we want to thank uh, the wine stores, which is a, a great place this time of year and really all times of year to go and get your um, wine, beer, any alcohol, but also delicious charcuterie things, you know, like the cheeses and the snacks and the crackers and the, the ham that's sliced thin prosciutto. That's what it's called. They're at 3601 Elm Avenue in Hamden. They are always busy. So it always feels festive, yet you never have to stand in line for more than like a minute because they have just, they just have their, their shit down. And then Golden West, also a great place, also a place that has their shit down. In this case, it's vegan shit with a Southwest flavor and they have a late night carry out window. So go I'm and visit sure, <laughs> I'm sure Golden West is really happy right now that you call their food vegan shit. Uh, anyway, he met it in the nicest way. <laughs> um, we also want to thank Maureen Harvey for producing and you all for listening. We'll be back soon with more stories from the suit. And remember, tickets for our holiday show on December 8th are available at soupstorytelling.com. Mm-hmm.